one of the things I'm undertaking to do this year, uh, which is like a study thing at Ridley College, Bible College, is a, a um, minor paper, minor thesis, like 16,000 words, on um, outrage culture. It's my favourite topic. Um, uh, if you open the newspaper at any time, turn on television, go to your favourite news website, if you have a Twitter account, you will see outrage culture every day. What do I mean by the word outrage? Oxford English Dictionary defines outrage as an extremely strong reaction of anger, shock or indignation. There's plenty to get outraged about. So on International Women's Day, um, a lot of people put emphasis on unequal pay for men and women, uh, for women. Um, and, um, you know, if, if I, had, I had a friend who was uh, on Facebook who's a barrister, she's a barrister, and barristers already get paid pretty well, but she just pointed out that um, male equivalent barristers to her get 160% more uh, pay. Um, and so she was outraged by that, and rightly so. We should be outraged about unequal pay. Um, every time I see something on the news about the bleaching of the coral reef in Australia, if you've swum amongst the coral reef and you see the politicians doing nothing about climate change or even doing worse, making decisions that contribute to the problem, then um, we should get outraged at the treatment of the planet. Um, you know, there's the Donald Trump outrage machine, but in Australia we have our own Pauline, you know, Islam is a virus that needs to be, um, you, um, you know, <laughs> what do you say, vaccinated, that's right. Australia needs to vaccinate Islam, says Pauline Hansen. Outrage, right, about people like that. The thing about outrage is that there is good and bad outrage. Um, good and bad outrage. Good outrage uh, is motivated by love. Bad outrage is motivated by hate. Good outrage is expressing your anger about issues that are justified, issues that are, are important. Think about the terror attack on London the other day. It's right to be outraged about this. Um, I, I marched in the streets about 18 months ago with a group of other Anglican ministers um, and joining in with a bigger group against domestic violence. It's good to be outraged about that. Um, there's the outrage that we feel about um, people being put in detention. Um, some of you might have got to know the family who's had a bit to do with our church, um, the Iranian family, um, and they are actually have been in detention and been released um, because of um, health reasons and also um, the, the mum is having a baby, Razia is having a baby. Uh, but then, and they've got a little five-year-old, and then they're going to have to go back in detention. And that makes me feel outraged. I, I don't understand why our politicians think that's a justifiable solution um, to the world's um, asylum seeker uh, problem, locking people up. It makes me feel outraged. And that's good outrage. It's outrage that's motivated by love and it's justified. We care about people who are suffering. There's bad outrage as well, as I said. Bad outrage is motivated by hate. Bad outrage is when we get outraged at someone or something, perhaps for no good reason. Perhaps we're joining in with the mob and we just heap on them uh, because it feels fun to feel more powerful or more morally superior than somebody else. 
We can also be um, the receivers of bad outrage. Like, you know, sometimes you'll be at work and um, a colleague will just fly off the handle at you because maybe you put your coffee cup in the wrong spot or something or you use their coffee cup or perhaps you, you, I don't know, you hog the printer and then they just get outraged at you. That's outrage that's just motivated, not necessarily... It's probably not justified, is it? And it's probably motivated by something else. Hate, probably. Or when you're a teenager and your parents um, fly off the handle at you and you're like, why are you doing this? I don't get it. That's outrage. You know, often maybe not motivated by hate, but not, it's definitely motivated by a misunderstanding. It can be, can't it? Uh, you know, our parents, when, we're, when teenagers, sometimes just go crazy at us and we're like, why? I don't understand it. And actually, I do know a little bit what that's like because I, now I'm a parent. I know what it's like to misread a situation, to get outraged unnecessarily. So we've actually all got the capacity for good and bad outrage. Outrage motivated by love and truth and bad outrage motivated by hate and, and falsehood. But what about God? Does God get outraged? Yes, he does. Does God show a extremely, an extremely strong reaction of anger, shock or indignation? Of course he does. But when God gets outraged, it's always the good kind of outrage. It's never the bad kind of outrage. It's always outrage motivated by love. It's always justified. It's always based on the truth with God. He always has a good reason. So let's think of a really obvious example from the Old Testament. The story of Noah and the ark. At the start of the story, this is what is written. And I'll give give you the message version of what is written. Verse 5. I think it's Genesis 6. God saw that human evil was out of control. People thought evil, imagined evil, 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 evil from morning to night. God was sorry that he had made the human race in the first place. He broke his heart and God said, I'll get rid of my ruined creation. Make it clean sweep. People, animals, snakes and bugs, birds, the works. I'm sorry I made them. I'm just going to move forward. I feel like you're far away from me. But the um, only person that God wasn't um, saying this about was Noah and his family. In God's eyes, Noah was the, a, a righteous man. And so he decided to show his love and grace to Noah and to the human race, to save the human race, provide a way out with the ark and he saved the animals too was that justified is God losing the control can we see God in this picture as some crazy maniac driving his car into people like the man in London no this is justified Um, it was good outrage God had every right to end the evil like that and it's strange to think of it as actually an act of grace and love as well but it is God is complex. He's able to be simultaneously outraged and loving at the same time. And I can imagine that. I know what that's like as a human being, as a father, to be simultaneously outraged and full of love. Only a few weeks ago, um, I came home from, from work and um, Joe said to me, um, Peter, something's happened in your music room. Ezra uh, was mucking around before kinder this morning in there. He got in there and he got your very expensive Denon headphones 
and snapped them. And these are, these are really expensive and really important to my recording because they're used for recording. And I was like, oh. I just felt this, yeah, it's like this sick feeling. Oh, I just love those headphones so much. Anyway, we were putting the kids to um, bed and I went in there to have a look at the, the broken results. And uh, Ezra came in and said, sorry, daddy. <laughs> and he came and sat on my lap. And I did feel this feeling of frustration that how could, why was he even in there before kinder? And, and how could he, because it's not easy to fix. And are these ruined, these headphones? But I also had this kind of puffed up love in my heart, you know, that flowing out, you know, that feeling get. And the two feelings are there at the same time. And I said to him, you're forgiven. I gave him a cuddle. I know what it's like to feel outrage and love at exactly the same time. I can hold those two feelings together. And so if I can, God can, obviously. In fact, there is a tight relationship between God's wrath and his love. Many people think wrongly that they're opposites. But you would have heard the phrase before, probably, the opposite of love is not wrath, but apathy or indifference. And in fact, if you think about it, God's outrage is necessary. His outward expression of his judgment, his, it's a consequence of his love. Uh, one of my favourite theologians, Karl Barth, puts it like this way. He says, if we truly love God, we must love him also in his anger, condemnation and punishments. Or rather, we must see, feel and appreciate his love to us, even in his anger, condemnation and punishment. God cannot be a good and loving God if he does not get outraged at human evil. For the resentment of wickedness, is it surely is an essential part of God's nature. We, we want God to hate evil. We want God to get outraged at injustice. If he doesn't, what kind of God is he? A person who knows, for example, about uh, the injustice that has been um, child abuse, and that is child abuse, would know that um, to, to, to be indifferent to that is actually to be less than human. To be indifferent to child abuse is less than human. It's a failure to love. A lack of outrage against evil is a lack of caring, which is a lack of love. One writer puts it this way, that for God, absolute love implies absolute purity and absolute holiness and intense burning light. Unless God detests sin and evil with great loathing, he cannot be a God of love. Now, some people make the mistake of thinking that when you read the Old Testament, you see stories like Noah and the ark, and you get an image of God who is all about outrage all about wrath and judgment. And then when you get to the New Testament, they wrongly think that you see a God who we most clearly see in Jesus, who is characterised by love and grace and peace. But this is wrong. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, you see a God, yes, who shows outrage at sin and evil, but also a God of grace and a God of love. And when you look at the New Testament, you see, yes, Jesus, who says, blessed are the peacemakers, and he heals the sick, and he raises people from the dead and he forgives people of their sins, but he also gets outraged at evil and sin. And perhaps one of the most famous stories of Jesus getting outraged is the Bible reading we've had from John 2, the second half of John 2, the cleansing of the temple. 
It's the story directly that goes after the wedding at Cana. And I didn't really notice it until today, but how contrasty is it? On the one hand, you have the wedding at Cana and you have Jesus lying, lounging around on the couches, turning water into wine and making everyone's day. And then the next half of the chapter, you see him getting outraged in the temple. The context is that it was almost Passover, just like it is today, actually. It's almost Passover, not too many weeks away. And so Jesus and his disciples go to the temple because Jesus is a law-abiding, as in he obeys the law of God, he's obedient, and so part of being obedient is to go to the temple at this time. And also he's going to the temple because when you read the Gospels, you start to get this, you start to see that Jesus, what he does is he positions himself often in public context so that he can teach and communicate to big crowds. So when he goes to the temple, this is what he's doing. This was the most holy place for the Jews. They believed God was present there in his spirit. It was a place where priests made sacrifices for the sins of the people. And the people were to come and pray and offer sacrifice and worship God there. But when Jesus arrives with his disciples, he doesn't see this. He's standing in the outer courts. And the outer courts are where um, the Gentiles are allowed to worship and the poor and the sick are allowed to worship. And instead of seeing this, Jesus looks around and he sees a market. He sees a whole lot of people with stalls selling doves and lamb, lambs and money changers. You needed the money changers because um, you could not take a Roman coin into the temple because it had an, uh, an image of, of the Roman emperor and that was like a false god. So you can't take that into the temple. And you needed the doves and the, and the lambs to sacrifice. There was a whole industry around the temple. And um, the problem was, though, of the location of this industry being where the Gentiles were supposed to be worshipping and also that they were ripping people off. It would be as if you came today to Mary Creek Anglican and all up the front here, we just had stalls for you to buy stuff, but it was all expensive and we were ripping you off. That would make you outraged, I'm sure. To this, Jesus got extremely angry. Verse 16. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Jesus had the right to get outraged in the temple because as he flags... It's his father's house. In other words, I am the son. I am the son of God. And he's declaring that. And he's outraged because the original purity and holiness of the worship is being polluted. It's corrupted. It's made evil. And he's wanting to restore this purity and this holy worship to the temple. It is unlawful for this to be happening. Jesus sees through the actions of the market stalls because people just got used to it. You'd think, oh, of course there's got to be people to sell you the animals and do the money changing. But Jesus saw through, he saw truly what was going on here. He saw it for what it was. And it was Jesus' job as the Messiah to do this. He was actually fulfilling a prophecy um, from Psalm 69 verse 9, which says, zeal for your house will consume me. Uh, And the disciples actually remembered that. It was Jesus' job to restore the kingdom of God and, and, and to protect it. And verse 15 says, So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the, the coins of the money cha- changers and overturned their tables. Outrage. 
It's an outward expression of his wrath. Whips. And you know, imagine that. Indiana Jones. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Now let me join the dots together for you. Got two dots to join. Picture, your, picture in your mind the look that Jesus would have had on his face when he saw all of that. When he was in the temple and he sees all this corruption. Now picture in your mind the look on Jesus' face when he sees us. When he sees us committing acts of injustice, bad outrage, judging other people, lusting, gossiping, hating, lying, stealing. Imagine that look. Because God does look at us with that same look that Jesus gave to the money changers and the salesmen in the temple. And he gets outraged at our sin. And he has a right to get angry with us, not because he's some angry old, old man in the sky, but because he is our father, he's the ruler of the universe, and he's perfectly holy, and he loves us. He's the judge, and he sees us truly for who we are. And this is good outrage. It's loving. It's perfectly justified, and he's not losing control. What do you mean, I say? This does not sound like the God that I worship. And I do not believe that my life is that outrageous, you say. This is my favourite illustration, and I apologise if you've heard me say it before, or you heard it 25 years ago at your youth group. I've updated it, but it does illustrate how God is justified in being outraged at us. Imagine if Netflix approached me and said, Peter, we're going to give you $250 million and we're going to ask you to make a biopic, 10-part series about your life, right? So I'm making it about your life. And, and I'm like, oh, cool. And they said, we'll give you, it's going to be the first Netflix series in 3D and it's going to like, be better than Game of Thrones and, and House of Cards and all those kind of series, better than The West Wing, which is impossible, but in this case it will be. Um, and they say, we've actually invented a new device and um, uh, we want you to, um, it's, a, it's a mind reader. And so put it on your subject's mind so that you can write your script and, and get the biopic script. And basically that mind reader will download all of their memories, all of the words that they've said, every action that they've ever taken. And then you can form that script. And we're going to put a huge marketing thing into this. We're going to put billboards all over Melbourne. And so I go to your house and I download everything and I write this script and we get amazing actors in and you know camera people and... Um, special effects um, and the marketing campaign is in there's a date approaching April the 1st it's not it's not a, not a fool's, jo- fool's day joke it's actually going to happen and all your friends are going to be waiting at home for Netflix and they're going to binge watch the 10 part series of your life what would they think how would they react how would you be feeling at this time perhaps they'll be a little bit surprised at your life They'll see the good stuff, they'll see the great achievements, they'll see the happy times, but they'll see the truth as well. 
Now, I know this, sounds, this is just a fun little kind of exercise, uh, you know, uh, uh, an imaginary exercise. But it's not a joke when it comes to God because he does actually have that ability just to download everything from your mind and he can watch, binge watch the 10 episode part story of your life and see everything. And so he knows you perfectly. And he loves you. And he also has the ability to respond to you in all kinds of different ways. And he looks at you just like I looked at Ezra and he gets outraged, but also his heart swells with love when he sees you. And he, say, he thinks to himself, how can I, what can I do? How can I deal with this situation? God cannot stand sin. He hates it. He has to deal with it. And he has every right to do to you what Jesus did to the temple, to tear it apart. And that should shock you. But what does God do? How can he do that and show his love to you? Well, what he chooses to do is instead of tearing you apart, he chooses to tear himself apart. Because that's what we see in Jesus. When we see Jesus go to the cross and we're in Lent at the moment and we're approaching Easter, we see God's action of if directing his outrage to him back to himself and tearing himself apart in Jesus out of love for you, out of grace to you. You might remember a phrase that Jesus said to the priest in the temple went something like this, verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So when you see the image of the cross, this is what you see. You see a symbol that reminds us of what God has done, that he's dealt with his outrage towards you and it's been proven to be true because he raised that temple up three days later. And in fact, the temple that they were talking about, the 46-year-old temple, was just the temple where God was present in spirit. But Jesus' temple is God present in the flesh. And when he was being sentenced, in fact, ironically, there was bad outrage directed at Jesus. Crucify him. Crucify him. It was unjustified. It was motivated by hate. It was not true, was it? And yet he, he took it. But his death was not wasted. They were selling lambs, for overpriced lambs, but he became the true lamb that takes away the sins of the world. So the Christian story is actually a good news story. Don't just think of God as an angry God. See the complexity. He's actually a God who can hold the love and the outrage at the same time. See that God, uh, God, when he sees you, he wants what's best for you. He wants you to live for him. He wants you to be part of his family. He wants you to live as a forgiven person. God is the perfect father who loves us. Jesus is the perfect son who dies for us.
Life with God God is life with the perfect, loving, gracious Father. Life with Jesus is life with the true Saviour. So if you are a person who wants to leave your old life behind and start again with God as your father and Jesus as your brother, where the outrage that God has, has, has felt towards you, that he holds with his love that he has for you, is dealt with, then you just need to say you're sorry to God and know that you are forgiven. The same motivation I have to instantly forgive Ezra, God has even more perfectly, infinitely to you. And also, if you're a person who has quietly been struggling and suffering because bad outrage has been targeted at you, perhaps family members, perhaps colleagues, people at school, know that you can stand with God, the perfect Father, and be protected by him. Know that Jesus also received the worst kind of unjustified outrage and that he welcomes you into God's family. So let me pray for us. Dear God, thank you that you love us and we are sorry that we are your children who make you outraged, but we thank you that you love us even more and that your outrage is loving and that you want us to be transformed and We pray that we can be people who continually go back to you, safe in your arms. We want to be forgiven and we want to live lives as your children. And thank you for sending Jesus uh, who died and rose for us. Amen.